Welcome to The Open Bell, a podcast for trumpet players, by trumpet players, and a cornet guy. I'm your host, Bill Stoneman, and I'm joined by my good friends and fellow trumpet geeks, Joey Tartell, and our very own musical monk, Brian Appleby Weinberg. This episode of The Open Bell is brought to you by the World Trumpet Federation. It's easy, really. Just go to worldtrumpetfederation.com for helpful videos, informative articles, and the truth about trumpet. In addition to being home to the Open Bell podcast, the WTF is here to help a generation of trumpet players looking for new perspectives on playing and teaching. And look, from time to time, we all need to be told, hey, you're doing it wrong. It's just the right thing. So for your own dose of trumpet tough love, go to www.worldtrumpetfederation.com today. And Picket Blackburn. From time to time in the business world, two great companies come together and it totally makes sense. That is definitely the case with Pickett Blackburn. When Peter Pickett added the Blackburn label to his brand, it was a confluence of craftsmanship that has been exceedingly successful. Many of us rely on Pickett Brass for the highest quality mouthpieces and backboards, and now we can turn to Peter and his team for high-quality Blackburn trumpets and, of course, those famous piccolo trumpet lead pipes that for years have been known the world over for their consistency, excellence, and quality of sound. It was uh, early in my career when I learned that the addition of Blackburn pipes to even the most average piccolo trumpet was simply amazing. For more information, go to picketblackburn.com or contact Peter and his team directly. Their custom work is simply incredible, and the customer service sets the industry standard. Picket Blackburn. Craftsmanship, quality, and excellence. The Open Bell Podcast is comprised of three segments, warming up, couple things and no offense we use these segments to consider calculate and confer about information that we deem important to students and teachers of the trumpet gentlemen shall we this segment of warming up is once again brought to you by our friends at chop saber do you like your lips or don't you Okay, then stop screwing around with those waxy tubes of chemicals and get on the Chop Saver train. Made with all natural ingredients, Chop Saver is the official lip treatment of the World Trumpet Federation and the Open Bell Podcast. Doctor recommended and trumpet player approved, Chop Saver should always be your choice for lip care. Speaking of trains and how loud they are, Brian, what uh, boisterous British brass band banter do you have for us today? Wow. <laughs> It's more and more impressive each week. It's fantastic. <laughs> so I just uh, I, I couldn't help but uh, mention a really just a sad, sad note for all of us. And that was the passing yesterday of Neil Jowett. And um, those of you who don't know Neil, uh, you're worse for it. Um, he hmm. was an amazing uh, person. And uh, Neil was uh, the Longtime director, more than 30 years, he was associated with the Lindley Band in uh, in West Yorkshire, just up the hill from Huddersfield. Um, and he uh, sort of took me in when we were on our sabbatical. Um, I called up the band because it was about 100 yards from our apartment where we were living in Lindley for that year. Um, and he said, yeah, come on in um, and just see if you like it. And uh, sat me right there in the front row. Uh, on uh, on third man down as they called it they had an opening there <laughs> there it is <laughs> the cornet um, tuck and um and then proceeded to just really give me a year-long education on um what it meant to be a true um bandsman mm. and um 
he was amazing. He was a builder. His, his job was he built homes and did amazing work. He was, it was his business and that's what he did. He wasn't, uh, you know, for us, a traditionally trained musician and yet he was a great musician. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, he played a cornet in the, in the, um, the black dyke band, um, when it was, uh, champions of basically everything. And uh, in those days he talked about, um, if you uh, weren't in your chair one night um, for rehearsal, somebody would would uh, call and see how you were doing, if everything was okay. Um, if you miss it a second night, uh, the next time you came, there was somebody sitting in your chair. That was all over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, li- I like that. <laughs> so, um, and uh, so, so he played for many years in the Black Dyke Band and then moved to Lindley playing principal cornet for them. And then um, for 30 years was there their music director 30 years that's amazing yeah he was just fantastic um he retired um about 10 years ago um and just um passed away um a short battle with a brain tumor um and we were there he hosted tromba mundi um Mm. a few years ago uh he came and visited uh the united states with his wife christine new jersey and pennsylvania he conducted bill's band right and, yeah, uh, Grady Harrisburg concert band. We had him in for uh, for, for rehearsal and and all that. It was amazing. Yeah, he was fantastic. And it's just such a shock and uh, and such a loss. Um, and lots of amazing posts on Facebook um, about his um, his longevity. And you know, people are calling him Mister Lindley. And um, mm. at on mm. all levels of band, I mean, just just fantastic. So it's really a sad note. It's a terrible way to start off a, a podcast, but got to mention him because he was just great. Well. It is and it isn't, right? Because here's a guy who who makes the kind of impact on the world and on people that we all hope to. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Brian, I said to you yesterday, he's on a short list of, Neil's on a short list of people for me who had an immediate yet lasting impact as a person and musician. You know, we stayed at his house. He, he had us all in, which was just absolute craziness, right? <laughs> like he hosted the entirety of Trombomundi, <laughs> right? In his home. And, uh, but I took advantage of that entire experience. And I went, Neil took me hiking on the English countryside and, and, and driving out to the moor. And, you know, and I got to hang out with him in the band room and that kind of stuff. And I, what an incredible human being. You know, and it was on one of those walks when he just sort of dropped that. Well, you know, when I was playing with Dyke, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was just this nonchalant. I was like, well, hang on a second. What did you just say? <laughs> you know, but but just a, a man's man, you know, really wonderful guy. Yeah, fantastic. <clears throat> uh, Joey, what do you have for us today? Well, I think I have, uh, if not a correction, possibly an addendum to something we discussed a couple of weeks ago. If Uh-oh. we discussed, I brought up. Tell me the story of how you started. You remember this? We did this a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my mother called. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Why did I know? Yes. And this said, hey, great. listen, I listened to the podcast, and that is not what happened. So <laughs> I will tell you what she send, says happened. Send your corrections, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> she said, listen, you did go with your friend John Perkins, and you went and tried out. But she, her contention is, is that my father had had his trumpet out and had me playing on it and had worked with me a little bit before that time. Now, I want to be very clear here. I have no memory of this ever happening <laughs> because what she wow. wants to say, and Brian, she wants to make sure you understand this part. The band director said, well, really, I should play tuba not to play trumpet, which is true. That is true. Now, when I look back on that, I look and say, 
well, what do band directors? They always have tons of kids who can play trump, who want to play trumpet and want to play flute. Right. So they try and get them out stuff. So you get the big kids and say, hey, <laughs> go play tuba. So I always looked at through that lens, knowing how band directors are taught and often what they're trying to do. She says the band director told her he should really play tuba because we we had a cornet for him to play and he couldn't make a sound on it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is that is her contention for what actually happened at that time. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, I think I'm going to go with I'm betting she's right. So And she said, I told the band director, no, we have a trumpet at home. He's made sounds on it. He's done stuff with his father. He you know, He's fine. And <laughs> there you go. That's great. You yeah. stand corrected. Well, uh, I'm saying that is her contention. <laughs> <laughs> Not saying it's right. Yeah. That, yes, because after that, she said, right, because then your band director, do you remember her name? And I said, her name was Cindy Michael. And she said, right, because then she was your first trumpet teacher. And I said, no, she wasn't, because my first trumpet <laughs> teacher was at the local music store. And even as a sixth grader, I came home after a handful of lessons and said to my mother, yeah, this guy's not doing anything here. This isn't really working. And she listened to me, talked wow. to my band director, who said, okay, well, I'll teach him. She was a trumpet player. Uh, my oh, first band yeah. director was a trumpet yeah. So she took me for a couple of weeks and then contacted Bernie Nero, who was the principal trumpet in the San Antonio Symphony, and said, would you meet with this kid? Bernie, who did not, I think I've told you guys before, who did not mm. enjoy teaching all of that much, said, Ugh, bring him by, we'll, we'll take a listen. <laughs> and then he was great. He was absolutely, uh, he was great. So she did not remember that, that Cindy Michael's name or that she was not my first trumpet teacher. But So now you're discounting her as a source then. You're using uh, this. All I'm saying is, is I'm bad with names and I remember those. Uh, wow. You do, however, play cornet well now. I'm that, happy to I appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah. you, so the contention is, the band director said, no, he shouldn't play trumpet because he can't make a sound on the cornet at all. <laughs> she wanted to make sure, Brian, you heard that. I yes. appreciate that very much. Well, Brian can help with that. He's got a great mouthpiece he designed with Peter Pickett oh, that man. Uh, would really help you, I think. <laughs> it helps a lot a of lot. people. <laughs> right back at it again. <laughs> wow. Uh, so that, that's what I got for you today. Bill, what do you got for us? Well, I wanted to ask you guys, I don't know that we've ever talked about this particular thing, but, you know, you have students come in to do the undergrad degree across a four-year period. Um, do you have a specific order and time uh, when you introduce the smaller trumpets? Oh, a specific order and time? No. Um, I have a general framework. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, where I am, uh, a fair amount of students show up here with a B-flat and a C trumpet. Sure. Some show up with a B-flat and a flugel. Some show up with a, uh, even show up with a B-flat C and a piccolo. It's, it's a wide variety. And then a lot of them walk in with just a B-flat trumpet. Right. So... In depending, you know, it, it, it's always the same rule, which is start where they are and, and go from there. But right. but uh, but generally speaking, if somebody's walking in with just a B flat trumpet, I'll go to seize uh, the first one for me. Brian, mm -hmm. where do you go first? Yeah, we do C trumpet, but I actually require um, we have a sophomore barrier. We call it the sophomore proficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know whether I should tell you the story about why it's there. Um, it's pretty funny. It's there. <laughs> the you have barrier, to now. <laughs> the sophomore barrier uh, at Rowan, I, I, I've been told, is there because of the trumpet studio. And the first time they instituted it, seven people flunked. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. So, <laughs> so. so it's, it's, a, it's a big deal at school for, for our sophomore players. I actually require two pieces of every sophomore for that sophomore barrier. Um, and in this order, they have to play and memorized. They have to play. It's a five minute performance. Mm -hmm. They have to play the second movement of the Haydn, 
on E flat. Mm. Then they have to play Good. the first page of the the Handel aria conversazione mm-hmm. on B flat. Mm-hmm. Good. So they have to pick up a cold B flat trumpet and play B naturals and D naturals in tune with a piano. It's really, wow. it's really. So if they are playing the trumpet well, it's super easy for them to do. Sure. If they're not, it's right. and they have to do so, it memorized. And yeah, yeah, we we also have a a sophomore barrier. We call it's our it's an upper divisional. That's what we call it here. End of the yeah. sophomore year, perform in front. So do you go to E flat trumpet first then from B flat? No, they people usually have some experience on C. Okay. Um, but but oftentimes they you know they're not playing in the orchestra, so they don't need it. Um, and some and we only have a we have a very few number of of C's. I think we have three or four C's in the department that are not student owned. And we have three E flats if you include mine. My Shilke, we have just got a Shires, and we have a, an Edwards. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. we've got a fair amount of, of high horns here, and they're good, so, so students can check them out and use them. So where I go next uh, from C in an ideal situation, all the other things being equal, is I go to piccolo. Uh, mm. and, and and then so I find B flat C. Now I I don't really include uh, cornet and flugelhorn in these uh, as their B yeah. flat instruments, so they're not. You were saying smaller horns. So generally speaking, the general framework for me would be B flat, then C, then piccolo, then E flat. Interesting. So mine, and I have students show up more and more now with B-flat and C trumpet mm-hmm. in hand. Um, but nonetheless, most of the work early on is B-flat. I like to go to E-flat next because I believe that pitch center-wise, it's more removed and you don't run into so much confusion. Okay. And then I might double back and pick up the C trumpet, but then we go piccolo during the junior year. And senior recitals here typically involve all trumpets. Yeah. Nice. And that's where I get into that. You know, I was talking before about the chronological order of recitals. Sure. We visited that before, and that works out really well because you can move right through the horns. Now, I, I can appreciate going to E-flat <clears throat> second from an from that standpoint, but from a function standpoint, we just don't use the E-flat nearly as much. Right. Like, you know, there's some solo stuff here, and maybe on, on some orchestral excerpts if you really want to go that way, but mm-hmm. it's really more of a kind of a limited solo horn. And here's how I like to go at C trumpet. Maybe we can talk about this later. Uh, we can go deeper on this. Right. I want to make them interchangeable. So here's what I do with, with nearly all of, all of my uh, er, young undergrads. I take a, the 150 melodies out of the back of the Arbenz book, and I start and say, on B flat and C, and on C and B flat. So if you want to know what mm-hmm. it's supposed to sound like, play it as, as written on the other horn. So I want right. you to feel at, I want you to feel just as comfortable either way. I want to make those interchangeable. Yeah, sure. You know, because I have played gigs, and I'm sure you guys have as well, where you show up somewhere, either a brass quintet thing, maybe a church service, and you've got another trumpet player you're working with. And about half the parts are in B-flat, about half the parts are in C. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, I'll look through and go, this looks like more of a C trumpet gig or more of a B-flat trumpet gig. And you pick right. one more and just kind of go. But I have played with those players that my thinking is don't transpose well. So they'll play the B flat parts on B flat, and they'll play the C parts on C. And I'm going, really, seriously? Mm. Hmm, I don't think so. You, <laughs> should, you shouldn't have to do that. So I will tell my students exactly this story and say, you need to be able to make that choice. Or if you're playing with someone else and it's their gig, you want to make the you want to match their choice, which we've talked about a lot before. If they're playing C and everything, then then so should you, or B flat and everything, then so should you. Well, yeah, it just makes it. I mean, you work better as a section when everybody's playing the same right the same tube. Yeah. yeah. The other thing yeah. about the piccolo, which we'll talk about later, is that um, 
buying a piccolo, it can pay for itself pretty quickly if you're doing wedding gigs. And as a working musician, you use it all the time. Right. If you get to it sooner. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I got to the piccolo because I was asked as an undergraduate, I think during my freshman year, um, a singer said, uh, went to a teacher, said, I need someone to do bright seraphim with me. And oh, yeah. the teacher said, yeah, I, I got someone. So he's like, here, school piccolo. Here's the, you, you figure this out. We'll do this. And so that's how I learned that. And then my sophomore year, I won the concerto competition with Artunian. But Dang. the orchestra directing, the orchestra director refused to rent the parts. He's like, oh, you can do the Haydn. We own that. <laughs> so my teacher being the great guy that he was, Bill Becker was like, yeah, I'm not happy about this. But here's the deal. He's a schooly flat trumpet. You're going to write your own cadenzas. We're going to play it from memory. Like, so he, he really made it into something for me. And it was really cool to be able to do it. But... Yeah. So that's how I got started on E flat. Nice. Yeah. I like nice. it. No, that's anyway. good. That's good. Cool. Uh, good. Listen, I know you guys are excited about this. I know I am. It's time for backboard bingo. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, welcome to backboard bingo, the piccolo trumpet edition. Uh oh. <laughs> Are you mean, ready? Does that mean it's shorter and higher? Yeah. <laughs> it could get higher. Question number one. The now famous piccolo trumpet solo. Hold on. In the... Wait a minute. We're supposed to have our buzzers ready. Oh, I don't oh think yeah. Bar... We... I, no. I don't think... Brian. We don't, need our... we don't need them? No, we need. We... I don't think well, Brian has it's ready. It's not. Um... Yeah, I mean, it's not Jeopardy, but okay. Oh, we don't need them then. Brian still has not loaded the buzzer <laughs> that you made for him. No, he's a bad person. So That's we don't 8, need him. Thousand texts ago. You don't need him. No, you. Okay, this is bingo. Okay. okay, it's bingo. I mean, most people in this country know how bingo works. Yeah, they have cards. And it doesn't involve a buzzer. But they do have cards. <laughs> I don't have a card. There's, there's no cards in backboard bingo. Question <laughs> one: The now famous piccolo trumpet solo in the Beatles hit "Penny Lane" was played by whom? Oh, that British guy. <laughs> a. Malcolm Arnold. No. B. David Mason. C, Derek Watkins, D, Philip Jones. David Mason. David Mason. That's All right, you're both right, letter B. Right. I'm, glad we had, I'm glad we had multiple choice. I never would have gotten to that. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew it was David, I couldn't give a well, man's last name. Yeah. That I, British I, guy YouTube, would not have sufficed. There's a YouTube video with an interview and a talk about it. I've watched that, and so I can actually see him. I can see his face, but I did not know his name. I think so they the did, deal did the was, Brandenburg like the week before or something. Right, so McCartney didn't like the instrumental fill they had for the recording. And then he heard Mason play Brandenburg with the BBC Orchestra and was like, that, that's what I want. <laughs> and so that's how it ended up, awesome. ended up on the track. Yeah. As well, it should. There should be a lot more trumpet solos. In Absolutely. Bobby. I question two. At the end of the Beatles recording of Penny Lane, the piccolo trumpet work <laughs> of David David Mason. Mason can be heard again. What is the J.S. Bach excerpt he plays during the fade out on this pop classic? A... <laughs> Holy crap. The Brandenburg Concerto. B, Invention Number 8 in F Major. C, Christmas Oratorio. D, the B minor mass transposed. Considering you said transposed, I do not know. I'm going to guess that it's that one. 
D. Joey's yeah, going with D. That's, that's my Brian? guess. I do not know. <laughs> no points for singing, Brian. Yes. Especially the way you just did that. <laughs> oh, man. You just don't like that he actually tongued. It's <laughs> the. Is that what that was? <laughs> Is it the Bach? They're all the in- Bach. Oh, sorry, the, the invention. Would <laughs> <laughs> you say it's no, a Bach invention? There's, it's either <laughs> brand new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which of the following in JS Bach excerpts? <laughs> a. Brandenburg. B. No. Invention number eight. C. Christmas Oratorio. D. B. Minor Mass Transposed. It's the invention. It is the invention. Oh man! I said transpose just to trick you, and you went it for worked. it. Joey. I went for it. I <laughs> totally went for it. Yeah, I bit. <laughs> I had no idea what it was. All right, 100 points to Brian. All right, question three. The Essie Shires Company has built a wonderful piccolo trumpet. The instrument has quickly gained popularity for its brilliant tone and impeccable intonation. The most popular model is the nine Y. For what does this designation stand? A nine inch bell y taper at the valve connection b nine centimeter bell diameter y flare c nine bell taper yellow brass d nine hours of heat treatment yellow brass wow um you got a guess here brian i guessed first last time c Uh, i think c as well that's my guess as well Oh, you guys killed it. That's it. Yeah. It's wow. just the nine, number nine bell it's taper. The, it's the taper with the yellow brass. And yeah. the Y is the yellow brass. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way they're telling anybody how long they need that thing. No. <laughs> no, that's that Shire's magic. That's proprietary knowledge. Like that. yeah. That's locked in a vault with yeah. the recipe for sip of sunshine. I right. think you mean the original <laughs> Coke formula. So, and, yeah. Nope. Question four. Who invented the piccolo trumpet? A. Reynold Otto Schilke, B, Antonio Giuseppe Piccarello, C, <laughs> come on, I almost made it, C. That's, that's now my guess. That's yes. such a good name. Has to be. Victor Charles Mahillion, or D, Philip Anthony Courtois. Do you want them again? Well, it's got to be Piccarello. <laughs> I think we should change I mean, all of history on. so that is Piccarello. I think that's so good. Don't we know somebody who works for Wikipedia? <laughs> I think we could just sign up, right? We should have um, shirts shirts made Antonio Giuseppe Piccarello t-shirts. Invented. I don't know. Let's go. I'm going to go with Courtois. Philip Anthony Courtois go, is your guest. D. Sure, why not? Brian? I'm going C. 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 Victor Charles Mahillion would be the right answer. Oh. In 1905, <laughs> 200 points to Brian. Joe, you're never going to catch him. 1905. Yeah, so Belgium trumpet maker uh, Victor Charles Mahillion created the horn in 1905. Uh, it was not widely accepted until the 1960s. And just for reference, Penny Lane was recorded in 67. So still yeah. a fairly new, new sound, different yeah. sound, new instrument. Yeah. Victor Charles Mahillion did not know that. No. Until I did this research. Sure. Well, I mean, until Karen did this research. Yeah. <laughs> She's she been pretty quiet honest. lately. She has been. She's happy. Yeah. Uh, question five. Which trumpet maker was actually making wind chimes when he determined that the pipes he had created worked better as trumpet parts? A, <laughs> Reynolds Schilke. B, Vincent Bach. C, Peter Pickett. Or D, Cliff Blackburn. 
wind chimes? Yes, true story. Which trumpet maker was actually making wind chimes when he determined that the pipes he had made would be better as trumpet parts? <sighs> Let's see. Uh, a I, is Shilke, B I, is Bach. I, I, are you going to uh, guess? Go yeah, I'm going to guess. It's Blackburn. It was the lead pipes. Oh, he was making So Brian pipes. says that's D, pretty, Cliff that's Blackburn. Because I'm, I'm talking myself out of Shilke because he was playing in the orchestra, so he was making horns, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's not to say and he couldn't be making wind chimes or birdhouses or whatever did, else he wanted I think we've to. Covered he was bored. Bach, I think we've covered Bach before in here that he was he decided to do this because he couldn't find a good repair guy. So I don't think that was it either. I think covered Bach is a understatement. We played the Ah Bach version of <laughs> Backboard Bingo. Thank you. Exactly. I stand by my statement. So then we've got. Yeah, I think he's right. I think it's I think it's Blackburn. I'm going to go with him. I agree with him. It is D. Cliff Blackburn. All right. Yeah. yeah, Peter Pickett told me that story. That's fantastic. Yeah, Cliff was making wind chimes and was like, "These are terrible wind chimes. I wonder what would happen if <laughs> if I flared the bell, jammed it in here, jammed it in here, and tried it on this piccolo trumpet." Yeah, and it's been that's a great lead pipe. Perfect. It has fixed so many horns. Yeah, right? oh yeah. Those yeah, Blackburn those are, pipes are. I, yeah. My, uh, I mean, I, I mostly use. Uh, uh, my rotary pick, but I still have a, an old Selmer piccolo that, that I've got the Blackburn lead pipes on. They're great. Mine that I have with my Selmer pick, I play the, the Shires all the time, but the the Selmer Paris I have, the pipes are stamped with an L. Louisville pipes. Yeah, the, the Louisville, Louisville pipes. Louisville yeah. Yeah. Pipes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Craziness. Hey, well done, guys. <gasps> well done. That's it. So we didn't totally fold. Is this a no, fold? No. This was... This I folded. You did Joey fold. folded. You did great. Brian, you were all over it today. Except How many for, episodes did it take, except for Bach? Except for asking who wrote the Bach excerpts that <laughs> I had like, said were written by Bach. Who wrote the Bach? Well, I'll take the Bach. Yes, I think it's Bach. He was correct. It I, was was trying was to correct. Cover all, I was trying to cover all my bases. And that you did with one comment. <laughs> all right, boys, time for a couple of things. You love it, you hate it. It's a necessary little evil in the lives of trumpet players. Today's segment of Couple Things is devoted to all things piccolo trumpet. Okay, let's take it up an octave, boys. Stop your chirping. Let's wheel snipe Snelly some piccolo <laughs> trumpet, Ferda. <laughs> piccolo trumpet. <laughs> I thought maybe, now just to help organize this here, maybe we could talk a bit about the horns sure. and then maybe some technique stuff. And then maybe some uh, piccolo trumpet, uh, you know, pro tips, tricks of the trade kind sure. of stuff. Does that make sense to kind of organize it like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Let's talk about some horns first. We already mentioned uh, the Selmer Paris, which is my, that's what I started on. I, well, when we were growing up, this is what Maurice Andre played. So it was by far the most popular piccolo for a very long time, mm-hmm. up until uh, really into the 80s when Shilke came out with uh, the P54 and that just sort of became oh, that was it then, overnight yeah. it was like this is the horn you know a, a really it, it played easier in tune had a really nice sound very even much easier to play bang and then boom the shilky that was it and that's the one that everybody started copying after that and to a certain extent still are copying today to it yeah including yeah. yamaha yeah i love yeah. everything you just said joey um in particular i want to call our listeners attention to uh, the comment you started with which was when we were growing up see assuming then that you and i <laughs> are in the same 
sort of ballpark. There. Not in the same ballpark. I mean, we're in the same century. <laughs> when I was thinking about piccolos, the Selmer was an antique. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> so my teacher gave me this really terrible lacquered Selmer to play for this 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 thing I told you about playing Bright Seraphim. But every week I would come into my lesson and he would unlock the file cabinet and take out the box with the silver plated Selmer Paris that was his. Oh, right. And oh. then I, he goes, I don't want to hear you play that thing in here. You'll play this one when you're in here. <laughs> Louisville pipes, Ted Weir ported the valves. The guy in Pittsburgh had ported oh, all the yeah. valves. Total dream. So week after week we did this. Um, and then one week I went in for my lesson on my birthday and he went to the file cabinet, took it out, handed me the box and said, happy birthday. <gasps> no kidding. My parents had called and wanted to do something nice for me for my birthday. And you know, what does he need? And he said, well, he really needs a piccolo trumpet and I really don't want to sell this, but I'll sell it to you for him. Well, if we're going to have first piccolo stories, can I please? Yeah. So anyway, he had the yeah. Shilke P54 sold my parents the selmer paris for me and i still have it of yeah. course oh well yeah. see uh my senior year of high school this is how i started playing piccolo my my teacher said well all right college auditions are coming up you should probably play some piccolo on that here and he loaned me his he had a a, a selmer paris as well he loaned me his piccolo mm. and he gave me the music to the brandenburg and said go learn this <laughs> so I, this is by the way i i, I don't think what we're going to say to do today that's not what did, i usually did, do. probably not did you go back method. to the music store guy then to get help with that or did you yeah <laughs> so i went home you know, i was a senior in high school i i bought a record i bought maurice andre playing it and I, I listened and thought oh that's cute that sounds really nice that sounds pretty easy and then i started trying to play it and went this doesn't sound as easy when I'm doing it, you know, but uh, so I worked on, worked on, and, and we ended up doing it in my high school youth orchestra. We also had, we had strong solos at each playing. So we ended up performing it during my senior year of high school and I used it on my college audition. It was great. So, but how I got my first piccolo is my grandmother, my, uh, my, my father's mother. I, I talked to my parents and hopefully my, I get this story right. So I have to, my mother won't call again. So that's this what happened. next week's but, episode. But this is, this is my memory of what happened <laughs> is that she called and said, I want to do something uh, nicer as high school graduation. What can I do? And my parents said, well, you know, he really could use a piccolo trumpet. I mean, he's playing one. It's his teachers. You know, he'd like to have one, you know. And uh, so she called my teacher and said, yeah, get him a piccolo trumpet. Now, my teacher at that time was a guy named John Rankin. You guys met him when we were in San Antonio. He played yes. horn in the brass band. Right. Yeah. You know, he, right. he was there. He uh, ran the jazz department at St. Mary's College for an awful long time. He was a terrific trumpet player, a great trumpet teacher. That's who I was studying with at this time. When he was in high school, he grew up in, in Chicago. He studied with Schilke. Oh. So wow. he really liked the horn. So he got called up. And got a P54, and you know my my grandmother said, yeah, just you know get him what he wants and tell me what it, how much it is. So here's my high wow. school graduation. I I have no idea this is coming. Not I mean really at all. So I don't really like ceremonies. I don't love the graduation thing. So, but you know we're going and so afterwards you know, I'm gonna go out and have fun with my friends. And my mother's like, you have to come home. You know, like you know, your grandmother's come all this way, and you know, I'm like, oh God, I don't want to go play with my friends. <laughs> so I come home. I'm like, well, I got you this, and there's this little wrapped box. And I'm like, oh. what could this be? You know, and I open up and brand new Shilke P54. P54. Wow. wow. I was like, I mean, you talk about uh, an amazing gift, especially from a woman. Uh, my grandmother was a, was a pianist and she taught piano, you know, uh, cool. out of her house. Yeah. But was very adamant about telling me I should be doing other things. 
she came, this is a dead true story, and then uh, we don't have to stay here forever, but she gave my first pickle, and for which I'm eternally grateful. It was a great present. Sure, it was lovely. absolutely. She came to my senior recital for my undergraduate. Afterwards, we went out to dinner, and she said, you know, it, I don't, uh, it's not too late to really think about law school or med school. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said to her, Grandma, it is. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. But so she, did, you, she, did you play the P54 on that recital? Uh, yeah, I did. Absolutely. Uh, awesome. Yeah. How wow. cool is that? Yeah. That is I, great. My first piccolo was, um, I was in high school as well. Um, and my teacher was Carter Eggers, who taught at Eastern Michigan University for 40-something years, just recently retired a few years ago. Um, and he, my parents said, you know, what does he need? And, and I just had a B-flat. And he said the next instrument should be a piccolo. He should get a piccolo. And, um, and so they bought a Getson four-valve piccolo. Mm. Um, and then my high school buddy, Mike, Michael Karunas, who's a minister in Decatur, Illinois, really cool guy, <laughs> went to Butler um, and played Go baseball Bulldogs. for Go a Bulldogs season. Bulldogs there, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. 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 Um, Michael was a great trumpet player. We sat next to each other, um, well, f- literally from sixth grade on through you know, six years. Um, and he, uh, his parents got him, him one as well. And so our senior year we did vivaldi double concerto with the orchestra nice. in high school. oh wow yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 what's his name did you say michael karunas michael karunas yeah, yeah. the trumpeter no one ever heard <laughs> <laughs> sitting Buried. next to brian since I sixth grade i wasn't that loud then <laughs> i'll bet yeah sure you don't then. think you're that loud now either yeah. so well, we were talking we're talking about instruments so you know, right that gets in those were modeled very much after the Selmers. They looked very much right. the same. And those yeah. were good horns that were not expensive. That was that a was really not expensive affordable piccolo yeah. trumpet to buy at the time. Yeah, and I still look for those for students because yeah. obviously the price dropped over the years. Now, you're talking about the one that had the angled yep. lead pipe. Had the angled lead pipe. I call those the flugel pick. <laughs> They're <laughs> so warm pick. sounding. Yeah. Yeah, They're gorgeous sounding horns. Yeah. And they got those old Getson valves, so they, they, they always were great. Yep. And the the valve tops are super flat. Flat, yes, absolutely. Super flat. Super yep. flat. Right. Yep. Yeah. That's that a nice, great, li- nice little case. Little yes. Case. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, That's a great a, piccolo. Great time doing it. Yeah. Uh, though that and the Selmer Parish are the two that kind of jump out to me. Of course, now sort of as bargain horns, right? Yeah. But as you, you can find used ones, they're great. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. They're great starter horns. Um, but now, of course, um, like shift into the gold standard, really, which you've already talked about was the Shilke P54, right? Mm-hmm. And then the and Yamaha the, Custom. And, the, and the P74 now, which I actually like yeah. better. They just came out, what, maybe 10 years ago at this point? So what's the deal with the P74? Uh, what do you, I don't understand it's got the, the trigger. I mean, it's got, it's got, the, tr- it's got, it's got the, the additional Geyer, trigger, right? The well, right, but actually the bell, the bell is wrapped around from the valve casing. Oh, that's right. Yep. So oh. it's it's really if I remember this right, and I may have this wrong, but I think it's almost like the the small G trumpet bell cut down rather than a piccolo, mm. you know, right? Smaller. Right. So it does have. I, I like the sound of it better. I find it play better now. For me personally, I like a trumpet mouthpiece on the piccolo. So the shokis are always that. Can never write, really find the mouthpiece I like with a cornet shank, but. It's a little. You talk to somebody who can help you um, design a cornet mouthpiece. You know what? Well, I'll talk to Peter <laughs> for you. Yeah. But, well, what <laughs> I do. I'll talk to Peter for you. Uh, but now, you know, uh, Shilke certainly has done that, and so many people have made horns based off of that. But also, what I play now is the Scherzer, the Rotary. Mm. And that is a great piccolo, Brian. What do you think of the Scherzer? Jeez. <laughs> that was another great trip. Another <laughs> time in Trombomundi history when someone tried something that was owned by someone else and said. 
I did not need to know that. How many hours did we drive? We were talking. We you and I? Fr- Ten no, hours. I was, no, yeah, no, 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 but I was with Joey. Oh, that was to... Was uh, on the, you got, you got dropped off at my house, and we drove yeah. from my house in Bloomington down to Mississippi. And we, and we arrived at the hotel, yeah. and we had been talking about Piccolo, and you said, why don't you just try this? Just try it, yeah. And I played right up to a concert D and went, oh, shit, I did not need to know that. <laughs> I did not need to know that. <laughs> And what kind that of piccolo is, you have now, Brian? I have a Schertzer piccolo, <laughs> rotary valve piccolo. It's fantastic. It's They're a great, beautiful. It's a, it's a great horn. Great instrument. But there are a lot. This is uh, this is uh, the difference of when uh, Brian and I were growing up, and even before then, when Bill was growing up, before they had valves. Wow, there it is. Is that there are so many good horns out there now? Because you know, when when uh, when I was in high school, like you could get a Selmer, or you know, if you could find a Getson, or you could find a, a Shilke. And really, after that, there's a steep drop-off in right. quality of horns, where now, yeah. man, there's so many. I mean, the, the, the Shilkies are great. The Schertzers are great. The, the Yamahas are great. The, uh, uh, the Shires are great. I mean, yeah, Bill and John lots. are both playing the Shires, right? Yep, yeah. love the Shires. Yeah, I want to talk about... Stombies uh, are oh, yeah. a lot like... Yeah. Uh, they're a lot like the the, sh- the Shilkies, but they take a trumpet mouthpiece. Those are really good horns, yep. too. There's so many good horns out there. I want to talk about the Yamaha for a minute because the custom is a gorgeous piccolo. I mean, fantastic piccolo trumpet. Um, And then there's that short model Yamaha as well that has that fourth valve trigger thing. Well, it's not a fourth valve. It's 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 the key off the third valve. It has a rotary on it. A rotor on it, right. Yeah. Which which is how you get that. That's the way to get down to the D. Right. Right. Uh, Beautiful sounding horns. A friend of mine at North Texas had one of those. Mm -hmm. That, and the first great. time I saw Vizzuti play piccolo, that's what he was playing. Right. Yeah. He was playing yeah. that three valve with the little rotor. I'm like, what the heck is that? Yeah. Now I also had opportunity to play at UNT. Did uh, I did Cantata 51? Sure. Uh, that's that's Bach, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you is didn't it, know. Is, is that, that the one Bach, Bach wrote? Another, it's the one that Bach wrote. It's a <laughs> Bach, Bach piece by Bach. <laughs> and uh, and I used you know the Elmer, FG piccolo. Bach. Oh yeah. You sure. play the little FG piccolo. Oh man. It makes Great. the fingerings a lot harder, a lot easier, oh, doesn't it? Way easier. <laughs> I kind of felt guilty playing that as a recital piece. I thought I'm not really doing much here, you know. <laughs> Just kind of lays there, you know. Super easy. Um, but I of those two, I prefer the Yamaha Custom, the long model Piccolo, mm-hmm. which I think is. Is a really great horn. Um, I want to talk about the Shires for a couple of reasons, obviously, because yeah, John plays it, I play it. Um, amazing Piccolo. What Piccolo does Belk play? <laughs> I already said John played the Shires. Oh yeah, so <laughs> Golf plays not, that one. He, would, he had to borrow one. It'd be whatever was in the room. Yeah, <laughs> who's not playing on this? I'll just take that. So Shires now, of course, is, has this whole Q series of horns as well, and I happen to have the, the prototype for the Q Piccolo, so priced far below the custom horns. Sure. Right? Boy, is it a great horn. Yeah. I mean, I haven't got to play that yet. Yeah. I have it right here. This is the hard part of being so shut down. You know, I love going I to like NTC and ITG, hitting the things and being able to just try out stuff. Well, when you love get to try stuff. this, when you get to try this cue, I think you're going to be really impressed with what's well, going on. Well, this is your demo it. that you sent us an email today. I did. Yeah, I sent you. Right. you uh, yeah. I sent you a That's little nice. recording. Yeah, it's a great, great horn, and I think a really great option. This is the thing about college kids, right? Like having to to buy all these horns. You want them to have a great, at least a B flat and a C, and then correct and get their own piccolo. Hopefully, you know, by the time they get out. And um, so, yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a great option. Uh, any other famous picks or models or picks of brands that you want to throw in the mix here? 
I mean, we've covered Shilke and Scherzer and Shires and then uh, the old school stuff like Getson and yeah, Selmer. Yeah, to the Yamahas. And, <clears throat> I, well, actually, the, can, the Canstols, I'm not sure they're still being made the same Oh, way. right. But, boy, those Canstol picks are really, those are good instruments. They're, that's what I'm saying. There's just lots of good stuff out there. Yeah. Are the Canadian brass guys playing Bach piccolos? I don't Ooh, know. Is I that what know. Caleb Hudson's playing? I'm not, I'm not sure that's what he's playing. We should ask him. Yeah, but I, I will say this about if you do find an old Selmer or an old Getson or whatever, consider it, I mean, it just don't even think about it. Get a set of Pickett Blackburn lead pipes for it. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't even it's, don't it's, think about it. Just don't think about it. Just do it. Order it. Um, and you won't regret it. Yeah. Phenomenal right, so stuff. Are we going in? Like, Yeah, right. let's talk about techniques now a little okay. bit. Is that cool? Yeah. So yeah. I have I have what I have found to be a really successful way of getting people started on piccolo. And it's mm. dead simple because, again, where I always want to start is start with what you can already do and then we'll go from there. So for me, as always, there's technique and then there's music. So I want both of these things. So uh, the technique is let's think about a study that encompasses the range we're going to use there. Clark number two. It's the, it's it's the same range we need on the piccolo. It's those two octaves, right? Yeah. If you have those two octaves, right? That's you can get around the horn. That's more than ninety percent of the music you're going to make. So the idea of take Clark number two, put a metronome on where you should already know the study. Start at the beginning, slur first time, tongue the second time. No offense to you, Bill. And <laughs> you take that all the way. And if you can play through the whole slur study the first that time, way, slur the second time. Boom! That's that's going to be really nice. That's going to be good, right? And that's a good starter from like just some technique of getting used to where it sounds, where it feels, all that kind of stuff. But then this. You guys know the Getchel Book One? That's where I'm going. Getchel Book One. That's, that's the Piccolo Starter Book, baby. The first four etudes especially, but even the first ten, the first four etudes are essentially in C major and one octave. So it's it really, is. really good. You start with reading it as is. And I want to think about this, trumpet players. If you're thinking that the, the, the C you're playing that sounds uh, third space C is a third space C, you're doing it wrong. That's a low C. I yes. did want to, I wanted to talk about this. Right, yep. right. So the notation is gets confusing because sometimes people write where it's written and sometimes uh, they write where it sounds rather than where it's fingered. And I've got a good funny story on that I want to get to in a second. But, so I want you conceiving of it as a low C, right? Mm -hmm. So yes. what you do is you play, you play Getchel number one and here's, here are the rules. As there are always rules, mm -hmm. those are eight. They're they're thirty two bars, right? They're four lines and are eight bars each. You're gonna want to breathe at the end of the fourth bar, but you don't need to. You don't need so to. So I want you to take a nice easy breath, and I want you to play at a nice comfortable volume and play eight bars in a breath as written. First four etudes. Now, yep. When we're playing piccolo like trumpet, most of the time we're ending up transposing. Not very, most of the time we're on piccolo trumpet, we're on the A piccolo, and we're playing in the key of concert D, which Amen. means we're playing yeah. in the F major scale on piccolo. So a lot of people yes. only practice that, and that's a mistake. That's why we play the Clark study. You want to be able to play in tune in any key on the piccolo, so we're playing Clarks. But, so where we're going to go next is, well, what about just going up a whole step? Whether you're on A piccolo or B flat. So you take those same studies, the same first four studies, up a whole step, and then maybe up a minor third because that one you see a lot. Yes, yep. up a minor third. You if you're on A piccolo and you see C trumpet parts, boy, there we got to go. Cantata fifty one, perfect example, right? Yep. Uh, or if you're doing uh, the Vivaldi double, right? That you were talking about. There it is. Yeah. C trumpet part. You want to read it on piccolo. That's the minor third. But then the one we see more often than not is 
the up a fourth or down a fifth, depending on how you're conceiving, that that D trumpet from A piccolo transposition. Yep. So if you're reading these, those especially the first four of the Getchels, and you can play that as written, up a whole step, up a minor third, up a fourth, not all at once, but uh, through the course of a week, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of moving them. If you can do that, now you're ready to start playing some music. Those couple of things I've done all, with a whole bunch of undergrads, and I found it to be, they're like, oh, God, I thought this was going to be hard. I was trying this at home, and it was hard. And I'm like, this is easy. <laughs> right. You want to give people the opportunity for success right off the bat. Yeah, I, I love the Getchel for starting the piccolo. Brian, you'll really love that because there's no dynamics or other markings written in there. You can play just as loud as you want. Lock write five load. F's under it and just go. <laughs> just lock just go. load. Yeah, and those first four studies, as you're saying, Joey, are that what it doesn't go above third space C, right? Right, right. It, correct. It takes octave. a while to get out of that. Yeah, yeah they're, they're yeah. one octave and they're eight bar phrases. <clears throat> so it's really just set up to go, okay, nice, easy, right down the middle. And that's a mm. great way to get started. So next step, and the funny thing about that is it, this is the great moment, right? So you hand that hand the, the piccolo to a student, you talk about it is you get them centered on the first note, the C, and they go C, D, first valve. <laughs> because they think, right, right, they're hearing it that octave higher and then and then got to get centered lower. Uh, I also like, do you know the Webster piccolo method book? Yeah. Yeah, love that yeah, yeah, yeah. book. A lot of great yeah. studies, great studies in there. Um, that have worked really well over the years. Soprano trumpet and mezzo soprano trumpet. Yes. Right. The B flat (laughs) is the mezzo soprano trumpet. The piccolo Mm -hmm. is the soprano trumpet. I I do want to make sure that we do mention that where the notes are written is super important. (laughs) So when, when I first got that Vivaldi, it started on written C third space. Mm -hmm. So in my brain, I'm playing well, the third movement starts on that the first yeah sorry starts the third on yeah third third it movement starts yeah, on a written third, G yeah third movement starts on third space C and so you're playing in my brain my high school brain I'm mm-hmm. playing E flats high I E flats above high C right which right. is mentally just a terrible way to think about it right right it so I actually rewrite parts for myself and for my students in the correct register, not the register in which they sound, where the register in which they're fingered. Where we play trumpet is usually where it's fingered, not where it yeah, sounds. Right. Exactly. Yeah, Mel Broyles was adamant about this, and he yeah. liked to write a lot of stuff, but he, he came in, he, I remember him coming into one lesson, he says, get your piccolo out. And he had written this, and I still have this in his handwriting, a, a piccolo duet of water music. It's just one page. You know, it's, mm. yeah. he says, all right, uh, you play first, I play second. We've read it all the way through. And he goes, okay, switch. And when I played second, he played first. We played on his mom. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. Th- I think this might work. Put it away. He goes, now you notice. Notice what I've done here. Like, that's where we finger these notes. And he, he this is something he, why would you write it where it sounds? No, we don't write any other trumpet parts where it sounds. Oh, I guess C trumpet does is written where it sounds. But we write where these things are fingered. Yeah, because if you're looking at all those ledger lines, it's just going to make your it's it's going to knock up. Yeah, it's brutal. Here's here's my story. There are a couple of times, and I think these are remnants uh, of when uh, Alan Vizzuti was on Woody Herman's band. So there are some things there that have piccolo. And after uh, after Woody had had died, and the band was doing regional things and and things here, they used mostly guys who'd been on the road. But I got into that circle through some friends. And one of my friends who brought me on said, "You know, he plays piccolo. I'll bring the piccolo." So we're doing one of these things, (laughs) and. but they pulled out this chart that I, I had never seen before, and they said, hey, we're going to pull this out, You know, bring your piccolo next time. And I found the recording, and it is written, it's written where it sounds. 
So it's written all these it's written all these ledger lines, all these oh ledger lines. Oh my god! Lines. <laughs> like why? So so, but I had listened to it, so it's not that bad, right? I, I so it's maybe a year later, and I get a phone call from Walter White. If you guys don't know, do you guys know Walter? Walter, sure, you know, yeah. Yeah. Of course, great. Yeah, in Detroit, and he you know he was on Woody's band and stuff, but he called me and he said, "Hey, listen, man, uh, we're going out to do this Woody thing, and they sent me this part. They said they were doing this thing." And, and I looked at it and I thought, this is just insane. I've been practicing. And I'm like, this is unplayable. And I called him and I said, man, Joey did it last year. It's a piece of cake. He sounded great. I don't know what your problem is. He goes, what the hell? And I said, oh, 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 oh. It, it's written where it sounds. He goes, oh, well, that makes it. Are you sure? <laughs> He's playing another octave on top of that. <laughs> wow. Here's the thing. Like, Walter, I know. I'm like, Walter, that's fantastic. But I'm like, no, I found, I found a recording. I am sure. And that's he said, great. Oh. Well, now I'm done. Well, that's easy enough. Thanks, man. Save my butt. You know <laughs> that I can play. <laughs> that uh, that's easy. <laughs> that's easy. Uh, so I want to ask you guys about this one. I, I was taught this C trumpet part on the A piccolo. Well, you'd mentioned the D trumpet transposition. I read down a fifth. I don't read up a fourth. But then there's another trick folded into that, which is that there's a lot of fingerings that are the same. In other words, the B flat is the F, which is always first valve. If you go back and forth to like B flat fingerings, you can play E one and two, which is the same as an A. Follow me. There's yes. a couple of yes, tricks. but my head my head is hurting. I know, but there's a couple of <laughs> tricks and they're the same. But here's my trick for it. So it's C trumpet, A piccolo. Mm -hmm. Read it, read it in bass clef and add three clef. flats. Yeah, yeah. yeah. add three flats and, yeah. and you're good. Yeah, yeah just I, making I, sure we cover that. Yeah, I do a lot of transposition as we've talked about with my students, and when we get to thirds. I'm mm -hmm. like, so do you read bass clef? And some of the students are like, well, yeah, I played piano since I was on. Yeah, take a look. And they're like, oh. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, when I got to college, I mean, basically, I learned how to read bass clef by just transposing because I just didn't read bass clef very well. <laughs> 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 Defeating uh, the purpose. So I heard this one. This, this is a good one I wanted to run by you guys. Um, when playing the piccolo, you think about the chops being 8VB, but the air being 8VA. Huh. I so, try and make things a lot simpler than that. <laughs> right. But this is this is when if somebody really is, I think, really kind of cranking everything shut beca because it's high. Right. Right. Yeah. Quote unquote high or because it's the piccolo or whatever else. It might be an interesting way to think about it. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Well, right. Because when you play piccolo right, this is uh, all you got to do right now is get on YouTube and pull up anything Maurice Andre's ever played. Mm hmm. Turn the volume off and watch, and and then try and figure out where the quote unquote hard parts are, <laughs> because when you're playing piccolo well, it really feels like you're almost doing nothing at all. So if you feel like at the beginning that you're kind of having to work hard at the beginning, sure. But when we get to like where when you're getting comfortable and you're playing music, if you're feeling like, well, I've really got a crank here on piccolo, no, 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 no. That's not going to sound good. This is where the B-flat trumpet, here's how I, I, I look at it. I look at it as a margin of error problem. Mm. Right? So on C, on, uh, since the piccolo trumpet is half the size of a B-flat trumpet, you've got half the margin of error. So <laughs> like on the B-flat trumpet, sometimes we all know we can <coughs> hammer a little bit and we can kind of get away with it, right? No offense, right. Brian. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I've been yeah. <laughs> my whole life. But Brian's on, been, that's his game. But on piccolo, if you hammer... It doesn't sound good, even it if the right terrible. notes come out. Yeah, right. So it's also it's really a lot of work. It bites well, yeah. back. Right. So you want to think about it as it's being easier. This is why it, writing where it's fingered often helps the the mental part of it. Absolutely. That. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, 
yeah so i can we can we it might be a good time actually to transition to talk a little bit about mouthpieces yeah can we do that yeah. um because it kind of falls under the techniques, the things you need to survive and be successful and thrive on the piccolo. And it's it's kind of the primary thing. If you got a, a decent horn and you got a set of Blackburn picket pipes in there, right? Now the next thing is the mouthpiece. Yeah. So I learned to play the piccolo on a one and a half C. <laughs> Me too. This explains so much. Yeah. Doesn't it? So I remember I had a lesson um, at one point when I was in Texas with a, a really well-known trumpet player. And uh, he says, so what do you got going on there? And, uh, you know, what are you playing on the piccolo? And I said, because I'd played a little bit for me. I said, what's well, it? It's a basically a Mount Vernon one and a half C on a Sour Paris. Right. And he goes, yeah, you, you can't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, that's kind of the way I learned. And he goes, all right. So I flipped the page already. He said, play this. So to handle something or other, I played it. Right. I flipped it over again. A little box something. Now we're getting a little more challenging, but I played it because that's just what I was used to doing. Right. Yeah. A little up to G's or whatever, you know. All right. Play it. He goes, oh, all right. I guess you can do that. <laughs> that was the response now i still don't do that because i just didn't want to work that hard anymore <laughs> well but generally speaking if the mouthpiece is too big for the horn and and, and very often a one and a half can be mm -hmm. even if you like the sound that's coming out as you go higher it's just going to be low it's going to be hard right. to stay in yeah, pitch it is. Yeah, that's going to be is. the hard part of doing that so you do want to find the right mouthpiece which generally and again, we've talked about equipment before. It's right. hard to diagnose, but we'll speak in very, very general terms. Yes. You're going to want to find something that's a bit smaller than your normal B-flat C setup. Because then it's going to allow you to stay, again, the horn's half, half the size. So the mouthpiece probably comes in a little bit too, so that you can get around and stay in tune throughout the entire range of the piccolo as well. Both diameter and was, cup depth. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. is it diameter and cup depth? Yeah, yes. absolutely. What yeah. do you do about throat and backbore stuff? You leave those alone? Uh, depends. You know, then you got to see, you know, what gonna, what's going to suit the student that's sitting right there in front of you. you know? And then this gets to be a balance issue because if you take away a lot of volume in the cup, then you try to at least leave you, a little bit of room in the throat and backbore. Then you might want more in the backbore. Exactly right. Sure. You know? yeah, sure. Yeah. But if you take a lot of that away, then maybe you can still get away with a little bit bigger cut. Right, because some people are set up where, uh, you know, more lip might be inside the mouthpiece, where some people play almost almost rolled flat, you know. So if, if, if you've got lip in the mouthpiece, you need a cup. So if you go to something like, all right, we'll just get one of those box 7Es, that's what you do. Right. You know, <laughs> and then they can't, you know, you're, you feel like they're bottoming out. Well, you need to, need to find something with more cup, but then possibly a little bit tighter throat and a backboard to make that balance work. Right. So it is a bit of a search for what works it, for yeah, you. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It's not, you know, you just can't prescribe the one thing. I mean, we've, we've talked about that before, but this is, you know, in particular, like what you're playing too. Like, you know, we have the luxury of having different horns. If you are playing something like Handel, boy, the Selmer Paris sounds gorgeous on that stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But if you really need something to really kind of have some some brighter colors to it and zing well then that's you're going to be working like a dog on that selmer to get that to happen <laughs> yeah. like yeah although i'll tell you what the last time i played brandenburg a couple of years ago mm -hmm. that was great to play with the other soloists right oh sure yeah. Uh, yeah 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 they blend beautifully yeah exactly right? I, do have a, I do have a friend who plays um uh, she plays a bach 1c on the piccolo and mm -hmm. she sounds freaking great on it Right, yeah. if, if that's what works. Yeah. So, Joey, what are you playing, if you don't mind? What mouthpiece are you playing on the Selmer Paris? I, I will tell you, I play a Bach 3CW. 
It's something mm-hmm. I discovered. So the W mean is a little bit of a cushion rim on there. Cushion yeah, rim, right? Wider. Yeah, wider rim. And it really, it just works. It works great for me. Now you see my normal setup on B flat or C is about like is a comparable to a Bach one B. It's a Hammond two L. Yeah. So that for me is coming in a little bit. Yeah. That the pick, my piccolo mouthpiece is a three D. Yeah, so that's the right. small. That's about the smallest I can go. Yeah. Uh, both with diameter and with cup. Yeah, the D is is a little shallow. I end up kind of bottoming out on a little bit on that, and yeah, you know the 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 upper range has never really been the struggle for me. So then it's like the C works really well. Right. Interesting. Um. Yeah. And I when I went to the Shires, it works beautifully both ways. But I actually prefer the cornet shank, and I've spent my entire life not liking the cornet mouthpiece on the piccolo. But this yeah, horn, you're, you're dead to me now. Yeah. Oh, I love it, <laughs> Brian. It's what are you so playing on good. there? So, um, well, before the accident, I was actually trying to get this uh, Breslimer uh, G5 to work. Um, it's a beautiful sound. Um, it's not real narrow, and it's pretty shallow. But it's a really nice um, rim. It's a little bit more cushioned um, rim. Um, and I have played the. Um, there's a GR. I think it's a 65 that I've that I played mm-hmm. cornet version with an adapter. Oh wow! That worked. It, and it was it was fine. It <laughs> worked really. Work. Yeah, it worked really well. I mean, there's a lot of yeah metal to stack. That's a lot of math. Is yeah. what that is. And it, it worked really well, um, George. Um, George and I played a bunch of stuff together. Um, his wife's an organist, and so George Rabbi and I played some piccolo things um, over at their church, and it worked. It worked great. It was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Even on the even on the uh, Scherzer, Sidewinder. The Sidewinder. <laughs> oh, love that horn. Yeah. Um, so before we talk, I wanted to mention a couple of pieces, but I but I want to make sure we mention this too because I I know we all feel this way, and of course it's part of the thing, um, is that the best thing to do with the piccolo is to play it every day and put it in the rotation because yeah. yep. you don't just go to it as a, a utility thing that you pick up like a certain kind of mute that oh, hopefully Easter's you, coming. You know. I better pull my piccolo out. Right. Pull my piccolo <laughs> I out. I heard that from and make sure, uh, trumpet players. Make sure right. all the stickers are off of it. And uh, Well, yeah, get those stickers <laughs> off your piccolo. Come on. Everybody knows that. Yeah. Right. And the because other thing... Then, it, then it's just home base and it's something you can use whenever you want yeah and i love clark too how because if you think about the baroque patterns right baroque music patterns with especially with the slur to tongue to uh you know crotch that i use constantly uh that's really easy to build into that you are know, you saying clark you tongue to we know no, nobody slur, believes slur that to. Uh, well it's more of a slur to ignore to <laughs> there it is for me um I did want to talk about a couple of pieces um, because we could talk about rep, but in particular, these are duo pieces that are really great to do with students. Or if you're, if you've got a couple students embarking on the piccolo journey together, but uh, one of the things I like to do here with students is, is play a piece with them on the recital. Now, often they'll ask me to do it on the senior recital. So uh, the short piccolo thing out front, you know, strength and numbers to get them going. And then, and then off they go on their own. Uh, Love the Manfredini. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Love the Aldrovandini, mm-hmm. uh, great that piece, one. and the Giacchini, all the Enis. All the Enis. Francesca. Now, the, the Aldrovandini is great. That's the last name, Aldrovandini. I played this at a, at a, for a church service one time, and I turned the name in, and I showed up, and it was a concerto for two trumpets by Aldro Vandini. <laughs> 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 
perfect. That's <laughs> like That's Aldo. Hey, Aldo Vandini. Yeah. One of the Vandini boys. He works at the pizza place around the corner. Yeah. But those three in particular are like sort of proven. If you're looking for a duo pieces to do two piccolos and keyboard, those three work. Really right, and well. then if you're, and then when you're looking at solo rep, you know, it, it look at some the some Torelli things and Albanoni things that start off that are real live pieces that can often be referred to as good starter solos. But these are le- these are legitimate pieces of music. They're just not as uh, demanding in range or uh, in face time, and they're a great way to start playing real rep on the yeah. piccolo. The Torelli G1 and G8, they go by that numbering system. Those mm-hmm. are the two, and then of course uh, the Sinfonia con Trombo, which. Yeah. You have, you know, made famous with uh, Tromba Trivia here yeah. on the Open Bell Podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> do you guys yeah. do the Viviani? Oh, those sure. are nice. Prima yeah, absolutely. Secunda. I love yep. those. Yeah, yeah. Didn't ITG published those, right? Versions of those years ago, I think, were released, maybe? Maybe not. Maybe when, they did a Franz Xavier. You, you first joined when yeah, there was Viviani on uh, it was on onion skin. I think we got <laughs> yeah. it, and uh, you had it delivered on parchment by yes. doves. There was a <laughs> I think Franz published actually published maybe uh, Franz Xavier Richter is one that ITG put out that you could yeah. get. Um, yeah, um, I love the Sinfonia Contramba as well, although that tends to be a little taxing because you're it, playing it on all four long, movements. Yeah. A uh, huge favorite of mine are the Telemann Heroic Marches. Those are really and good. Yeah. just pick a set of three of those. You don't have to do all 12 of them. Right. It's 12 <laughs> I was going to say, it's march. pretty taxing. Well, no, you don't do them all. No, you yes. say excerpts from. Sure. Yes. And create a set of three. In fact, the first three in a row work really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Majesty, Grace, and uh, the third one's escaping me right now. Vaillance, I think it yeah, is. Yeah, but those are very accessible. Absolutely. Sure. Yep, for sure. Rather than just jumping into, uh, you know, trying to do the Tartini, for example, you know, like <laughs> right. right out of the shoots. Yeah, Tartini, Leopold Mozart, Telemann, all of those are, are like can be wa- feeling like you're walking on a tightrope if that's how Heavy you're hitting. starting. Sure. Now, this is an interesting, this sort of falls under techniques, but since we're talking about rep, it's something that I will do with students, especially as things tend to get more rangy and demanding. I'll have them practice the piece, especially if they're doing the transposition thing as written what they would play fingering wise on c trumpet oh and then right? work your way up and then then go to e flat if need be and then go to the piccolo but you're playing all the same fingerings you're doing all the same transposition but you're you're getting you're setting yourself on a lower part of the horn and then working your way working your way up to those notes great way to not kill yourself working on ornamentation too well yeah yeah, yeah. so you can spend a lot of time working it out in a much much better place to play yeah yeah, and then gradually Absolutely. work your way to the small horn. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. Ornamentation. yeah, and the ornamentation thing is awesome, right? Like, we, uh, that's yeah. one of the fun parts of doing this stuff, of doing the piccolo stuff. Yeah, so if I could just say this good. about ornamentation. Remember, it's there to add to the line, not obscure. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. make sure that it, you play the line without any ornamentation, then put the ornamentation and think, have I added musically to this? And if the answer is yes, then do that. If the answer is, well, then do not. Yeah. Uh, here's my tough love moment with ornamentation. I remember doing some stuff for my master's degree and I, and I went into Kevin and I listened to this recording and that recording and all this. And, and I had, I went to play for him and he was like, uh-huh. And I'm like, well, so how much is too much? You know? So he takes the natural trumpet off the wall and hands it to me, right? Doing a there handle thing. Go. And he says, well, here. 
you know, do this. <laughs> so I start, by, I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to do anymore. I'm going to keep it pretty basic. You know, yeah. I did, I did this suite in D with the orchestra sure. as, a, as a grad student. And that remembering that that was the horn that, you know, that would have been done on that, that'll rein you in, you know, yeah, it's possible to do a ton of ornaments on those instruments, but yeah, they, they did in the time period. They did a lot. They I would, I would encourage everybody to um, check out the Mary Sear text um, on Baroque ornamentation. And um, it really gives you a great idea of all the crazy stuff you're allowed to do. And, um, can give you a bunch of ideas for what you can do just outside of what you hear. I think maybe a lot, we can allow that a lot of recordings are not hysterically informed. Mm. Um, and well, so they are hysterically informed. <laughs> and so we, you just have to, I think you have to be careful. Um, and maybe a general rule would be if you're doing repeats, you don't do it the same way as you did it the first time through. <laughs> You know, make it a little mm -hmm. bit more interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and so where do you guys land, like, if notes weren't possible in when the piece was written, do you allow your students to do that chromaticism or add that note that wasn't possible in that range on the instrument in their ornamentation? Because on their piccolo, they can do it that way. And it sounds cool. Yeah, I'm fine with it. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'm probably going to be more of a purist there. Listen, it, if that's true, right, because if we're going to lock ourselves in, we can only do what other people could have done before us, then there's no evolution to the music, and why bother? But we know that what Joey says is, would Maynard do it this way? <laughs> I don't think Maynard played a lot of piccolo. Um, but no, I'm serious. I, I've often... Uh, uh, often look at, at the uh, historical performance people, and I, I understand there is an, a, a lot to be learned from the history, but I also don't want to be limited be just because it happened to be that way, because here's the problem when we look at this from the trumpet perspective. What we seem to know is there were no holes in any of those instruments, right? Right. Mm -hmm. But everybody who's performing on those horns now has holes in them, right? Yes, yeah, totally. They're all, the harmonics easier. Yeah. They're already <laughs> breaking their own <laughs> rules. Yeah. So then sure. I just don't want to hear it. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's a fascinating point that that it, you would want it to develop. Okay, so if they were writing today, their same style, yeah, they would be adding all kinds of crazy stuff. And even if you're you're talking about, I mean, somebody like Haydn, some of the cadenzas he wrote for himself are wildly modulatory, and mm. you would you would hear it play and be like, wow, that's well, Haydn's a, a great example because we can look at the Haydn trumpet concerto. So sure. the revolution of that piece which is hard to hear now, and I try and have this discussion with my students when we're learning it, is, all right, so we start off, you know, one, two, three, and we're playing a major scale, and oh, yeah, whatever. And then there are half steps. <laughs> and it doesn't, it's no big deal now, but mm -hmm. at the time, people listening like, hold on, trumpets can't do that. Yeah, yeah you can't right. do that. I yeah, mean, in like, the moment, that's since, it. Since and that Anton was like, watch me. Yeah, but mm -hmm. since that instrument was invented, and then they're like, yeah, we can do that now. So the idea of limiting ourselves to only what the instruments could do a couple hundred years ago just doesn't make any logical or musical sense to me. I think it's and, fascinating. And yeah. I, I just want to say, in case you wonder if we're really doing any good here with this podcast, three weeks ago, Brian couldn't come up with the name Anton Weidinger to save his life. And now he's throwing <laughs> it around like he's on a first name basis. With I him. own the book. I just couldn't pull it out of my you head. You folded like a cheap Kmart lawn chair on that episode. <laughs> and how. <laughs> now you're like, well, Anton would have done it. <laughs> 
your best friends. <laughs> I'm the one that went to school with him. <laughs> exactly. There it is. <laughs> and he, too, was friends him. with Antonio Giuseppe Piccarello. There it is. The inventor of the piccolo trumpet. We got to have piccarello shirts. We've got to have piccarello <laughs> shirts. <laughs> All right, boys, it's time for yeah. some no offense. If you've ever reached for the piccolo because the B-flat part went too high, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Ooh, that's no no offense, but you're doing it wrong. And if you do that and you sign the part, that part's going to the next city and some lead guy is making fun of you. <laughs> I remember playing a Pops concert with Indianapolis once, and I'm looking at the fingerings. Somebody's written in fingerings over what's essentially a big band lead trumpet part. And I'm looking at these fingerings, and they're really odd. And I finally figure out, huh, you know what these are? And I said to, to Bob Wood, who was playing second trumpet, I said, Bob, you know what these are? He looks over, he's like, what? I said, those are C piccolo fingerings. And without <laughs> blinking, he went blank and names a well-known trumpet player. Blank plays a lot of C piccolo. And then we both just started laughing. <laughs> Wow. She knew who it was. <laughs> but the idea of like playing a big band part, well, you know, this goes up. Oh, obviously, we just play it on piccolo because then that, that's where that. No. Nope. That is not how that, that goes. Not what that's for. That's, that is doing it very, very, You're very wrong. Doing it wrong. And doing there's somebody wrong. in your town who like probably specializes in doing that. Right? Right. There's some lead guys everywhere who can play that stuff. Sit, sit next to them. Have fun. Listen to what they can do. Maybe learn something. Yes. Yeah. And it, or if there is a piccolo part to be played, you don't play piccolo. Guess what? Somebody, <laughs> there's somebody to do that as well. There's somebody who can do that exactly. too. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Because in case you hadn't noticed, it sounds pretty different. <laughs> there's a and wildly different sound coming out. Yes. And if, well, if we can add a, a, an addendum, if you sound the same on B flat trumpet and piccolo playing in that register, you're also doing you're it also wrong. doing it wrong. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're just trying to add an air of elegance to that musical <laughs> by switching to piccolo trumpet, boy, there's a thought, right? If there you sound is. both, if it sounds the same, oof. Not okay. No, okay. not okay. Different, different acts. Well, mercifully, we've come to the end of another episode. Thanks for joining us on The Open Bell. Stay tuned, subscribe, and tell your friends and students Misery Loves Company and unless you're Brian, who is miserable and hates everyone, that is. <laughs> so long for now. Remember to keep an open mind, but more importantly, an open bell. <laughs>